Welcome to Encompass Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us today. To share your story of what God has been doing in you and through you, take a moment to email us at amen at encompass.org.au. Enjoy today's message. Um, today, uh, we are kicking off a two-week series. Everyone say two-week. Two-week series, um, and whoever was planning this, I'm not sure what they were thinking, but um, we're doing an at-all-cost series, which is all about finances. And everyone said amen. Um, no one wants to talk about finances. When you have guests for baby dedications, the last thing you want to do as a church is talk about finances because your friends are going to go, I knew the money was all about church. I knew they were a business, et cetera, et cetera. And so I want to hopefully demystify some things that you've been thinking initially uh, because our heart is to build trust with the church. And maybe you've been to a church that maybe trust has been broken or maybe there's been some questions. And I hope our transparency uh, will actually build a trust in the room because that is our heart, uh, is that we would lead uh, through transparency and authenticity. Because when you put God first in your finances, this is I really want to be really clear. When you put God first in your finances, it is extremely freeing. It will grow you on your spiritual journey and it builds the kingdom of God. And so some of you are thinking, well, can't you just... Can, can we just, like, stay away from my finances, bro? Like, some of you have actually thought, like, just stop talking about my money. But I, I want to tell you something, as in, uh, we had, the Bible is full of scriptures and talking about our finances, talking about our money. And, and let me just give you a couple of things here. Like, Jesus talks about finances twice as much as heaven and hell. 16 out of 38 parables in the New Testament, they're about money and possessions, and so it'd be silly for us not to do it. 2,000 scriptures and verses are about money and possessions because money is spiritual. Everyone say it's spiritual. It is spiritual. And the reason why maybe you're a bit uncomfortable right now is because money is spiritual. And a lot of us like to compartmentalize our faith and go, hey, listen, let's keep the holy and the spiritual days for Sunday between 10 a.m. and 2 and 1 p.m. But God, want, we invite God into all our lives. We, we don't invite God on to, into Sunday mornings, but we invite God to every sphere of our life between Monday and Sunday. And so this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. It says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Everyone say trap. If you want to get rich, you can fall into traps and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. We all have a friend potentially. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For the love, it doesn't, money is not evil, but the love of money, the desire for money can bring great grief and destruction. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your heart is, isn't determined by what you say or where you go on a uh, Sunday morning, but it's actually where your treasure is. Where if you had to track the most uh, greatest possession in your life, where, where that is. Where, and if you had to track your bank account, maybe, you'll actually tell, tell you where your heart is. You look at your transaction and be like, man, that guy really loves golf. Uh, not me, someone else. Uh, you know, or that guy really loves KO sports because injury playing England at the moment. No, or that guy really, or that girl really loves fashion and shoes. You can tell if you track it. For those of you that are wondering where my wife is today, she's at our Doreen campus, so I am off the leash. Let's do it. Um, let's do this. A couple of things. I really, 
we, we, we have less time than usual. This is my commitment to everyone. Don't freak out. We will finish at, the whole service will finish at 11.30, okay? So in 34 minutes, we are respecters of time, just really quickly. Okay, um, but you might be wondering what type of church you're in today. What does Encompass believe about their finances? Well, we believe in tithing. And Pastor John, this is just a two-week series. In two weeks' time, Pastor John is covering that topic. Um, but to, to tithe is one-tenth. Okay, and we believe that it means that when we get paid, when we receive something, that we don't put our bills first, we don't put our groceries first, we don't even put those new shoes first because those new Yeezys are really good, but you put God first. And, and he commits it to us. And if you're looking for a passage of scripture just to identify with that, it's um, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. But also in the New Testament, it would say, Jesus said, you should tithe. Everyone say, you should tithe. You should type. But instead of me convincing you, instead of Pastor John even teaching into it, two, two ways to test the tithe, because God literally says, test me this. One is try it. Test and see if you had to put God first in your finances, would he come through? And this is not, I, I have a confidence about this that he would. Secondly, talk to a tither. If you ever talk to a tither, they will truly tell you, hey, whenever I put God first, every time I put God first in my family, I've never been without he has always come through. And all the tithers said, amen. amen. Honestly, as in, it's just, it's not a, this is not a trick thing. I wish, honestly, I think I'd get fired if I did this, but I wish I could give you a money back guarantee if you tithe. Honestly, some of the board members are getting very uncomfortable right now. But honestly, I wish I could, but it's probably not the most sensible thing to do. But, that, but I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident in the Word of God. I'm confident in what he says about the tithe and putting him first. Um, but anyway, listen, as you would know, that there is no pressure here in tithing. Encompass, uh, you know, in the end, the first thing that will go in our service is the tithing thought as it, and the offering thought. Um, and because it's like going, hey, we need to create more space. But let's never forget that it's a form of worship to God. As in, I don't want to ever get so calm that we're going, hey, let's just remember, this is worship to God. Giving to God is worshiping Him. Um, know that when you give, no one knows. None of our pastors across all our locations, no one knows who gives what uh, or, or what or what takes place there. Um, listen, I, I was going to go into how we manage our money, but I, I think I don't have time. But really quickly, it's 10 and 90. As a church, we give 10% to missions on your behalf. So whenever you give to our church, if you tithe to our church, literally we practice what we preach. And we're not saying, hey, listen, you give 10% first, but, but actually as a church total, we, we say we're giving 10% first because we want to stretch our own faith. We want to be a faith-filled community. Um, not, uh, not only that, like we believe God's going to show up in that. And as we're faithful, he'll be faithful. In the 90%, whenever we set a budget as a church, it is 90% of the previous year if not less. So we are never kind of going beyond our means going, hey, let's, let's believe for $20 billion. No, uh, that would be a little bit, that would lack wisdom. We're saying it is 90% of the previous year's income. That's just how we manage our finances. But our church is in an incredible financial position. And, I, and again, this is not to self, this is actually to glorify God and the great history that we have. Our church is debt-free. So this building, everything that you see is completely debt-free. There, there is cash in the bank for dedicated future plans. You know, uh, for those of you that are visiting, our church is just in a transition. Or like, you know, it's, we're six to seven months into my, my wife and I leading the church. But um, the faithfulness 
the stewardship of the board members and the senior pastors for the last 25 years have left our church in such an incredible position. And God's hand has been on it. Come on, can we uh, just honour the faithfulness in the room, the faithfulness of the leadership, of the board members, but also um, of God being faithful to the house. It's honest, you've got to understand, in a transition, it's kind of scary. I just want to be honest with you guys. It could have gone backwards, but actually our giving has grown in the last 12 months. What an incredible thing. Some of you are going, stop talking. Why would you tell me all these things? It's very uncomfortable. I don't like talking about it. I don't want to talk about your finances. Leave me alone. We have a huge desire to be transparent. I think you just need to know that as a church, uh, as a leadership team, we want to be transparent and approachable. We are leaders. I just want to let you know about my wife and I. We are leaders that invite accountability. We actually desire accountability, uh, and I don't know why, it's just something in us that we go, whether it's a board or we had auditors here last week, but they're all good things because we want to get better, but we also want to stay accountable. I think it's a healthy thing for a church to desire, but we also want to build healthy environments that are trust-filled, that are trust-filled. So right now, if I just went into preaching about how you should put God first, you might be like, how does, what do you know, or what are you doing with the money, bro? Like, as in, but I just thought, I'm just going to clear the air. Who likes to, some people don't like to clear the air. Anyway, moving on. So let's do, let's talk about finances for the rest of this time. And um, it's not, you you guys uncomfortable? I'm just letting you know, the other 98% were like very uncomfortable. (laughs) Hey, eight years ago, I met this guy named Max. Everyone say Max. Max, um, we went on holiday together, Alyssa and I. It was our, one of our first kind of holidays. We went to a place close to Wilson's Prom, and it was a bed and breakfast place, and we, had, we could have dinner with people. Do you know what I mean? Like, you could actually opt in for a dinner that you have with people. Anyway, there were three couples, and Max was in, like, as in having dinner with us. Max and his wife. Now, it was very obvious very early on that Max was rich, like as in this guy was a high roller. Some of you are going, what was he going to say just then? It was rich. It was always rich. I was actually going to say filthy rich, but I thought, let's just hold that back. Um, But anyway, Max was, he had a lot of watches on. Uh, I don't know one of those guys. Anyway, um, he was talking about all the the investments that that he kind of does, and he had a love for cars. And now I'm just going to give you context of how rich he was. He tells me this story. Never forget it. It's eight, nine years ago, and I can still remember it. He tells me how he flies to Italy and he built a Ferrari, okay? I'm just saying, this is Max, not me. Anyway, um, and Max spends time in Italy, builds this Ferrari, and then he has to wait six months for the finishing product. He gets personalized plates everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes, Jace, like, it was so hard to wait for this new Ferrari. But he goes, he ended up waiting for it. It gets delivered six months later, and he was, he was so over it, he, he, he tells me, he goes, I, I owned a Ferrari for a day. That's the title of his story. That's the way he plays it, because he's the life of the party. He knows how to tell stories. And he goes, Jace, I drove it around for the day, and then I just sold it the next day. He goes, I lost, like, so much money on this. But he, he, like, he goes, you know, who cares when you're filthy rich, right? Like, as in, like, that's what he was kind of like. He was, like, kind of going, it just didn't really bother me. I was, he, he, that's how he rolled, and, you know, when you talk to someone that is this sort of rich, like, you're kind of going, how did this happen? Like, you know, how, how did he build this wealth, et cetera, et cetera? But Max and I, we would catch up every night for dinner. Like, we would spend, like, three nights. Alyssa's like, hey, we're supposed to be on holiday. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, I'm finding this fun. Anyway, 
Max turns the tables on me on the second night. And he says to me, I want to give you some financial advice. And I said, just give me the finances. Don't give me the financial <laughs> advice. I don't need your advice. Give me that Ferrari, bro. Uh, we're all thinking it. It's like, that's, that's great financial advice. And he began to talk to me about how he goes, it's so good that you're a good person and you work for the church. Isn't that? You're a good guy. If I'm such a good guy, give me the Ferrari. Anyway, uh, but he's kind of like going, you know, hey, I just want to give you some principles of what you should, where you should be investing, how you should be earning, how you need to make your money work for you. And here's the thing about God. And as a, as a young person listening in, I'm leaning and going, how do I own a Ferrari for a day? You know what I mean? Like, as in, how do I work this through? And I realized this is that over time, people like Max, or maybe you've done a YouTube kind of seminar, or maybe you've gone somewhere, it is always a numbers-only approach. Have you thought about that? Say maybe you've done some, uh, got some financial advice. It is strictly numbers-only. It is never about really the root of money, but it is actually, it's all about the point zeros and the point fives and the how you can get the ROI on the TOI, et cetera, et cetera. It is always numbers only. Everyone say numbers only. But when you have a God perspective, it can't just be about numbers. It can never just be about numbers. And so whether you go to YouTube or you've got a barefoot or a Gucci-wearing investor sort of situation, they will always be about the numbers and they'll tell you five things. Really quickly, they will tell you to earn. They will tell you to cut costs. They will tell you to save, invest, and give. Giving's actually up there. It's the fifth one, but, but, but that's what they'll tell you. They'll tell you to earn as much as you can. These are the five laws. No matter what seminar you go to, this is what you're going to hear from them. Five laws. Earn as much as you can. If you've got a double income without kids, earn, earn, earn. Make sure you earn as much as you can and play, like as in work hard, play later, and, and those sorts of things. They'll tell you to cut costs. We, we know this. Get on budget. Great advice. This is wise advice, by the way. I, I, we are the um, barefoot investor vibes. I have a splurge card that Alyssa always spends before me. Uh, it's really annoying. Um, but, you know, we have a card dedicated for splurging. And, you know, it kind of just allows us to spend. It's just getting our finances in order. Um, the third one is that, that, that we save, that we create margin in our finances. And maybe you, but the, the general practice is put three months away of your salary um, and save it up so that for emergency funds, when the car breaks down or when something takes place, you're able to actually, you know, just go here and kind of get it done. But not many people make it to investing and giving, but, but the reality is, is that they'll tell you to invest. They will say, make your money work for you. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, you know, most people realistically, they don't invest, they upgrade, so when the increase comes, instead of putting it into something that you should, you end up just upgrading your car. You know, statistics would say that if you've got about a $500 payment on cars, if you started that payment at 21 to 65, you'd be a multimillionaire. Your car payments, like that's, it's kind of like a bit of dead money. I'm just letting you know. Um, but, you know, you do you. Like, as in, but the reality is, is that majority of us don't get to investing and majority of us don't get to giving. 3% actually give. And some of you are going, but I go to church and it's much better in the church. It is better. It's 3.8% of people that actually give. Scary numbers. 
But again, when you go to these financial advisors, when you go to these YouTube events, etc., etc., it will always be about the numbers. But the reality is, if you get all this advice, and it is wise advice, if it doesn't have the mind of God, if it doesn't have the heart of God, it will always be missing something. You'll always be missing something in your life. And so for the time that I have left, I want to give you God's perspective on these five financial laws. I'm going to give you the God approach, how he sees it, his heart and his mind on these five financial laws. And and this is how I'd place it. If God was your financial advisor, this is the things that he would raise with you. Okay? And so, listen, it's it's general, but let's just see how we go. Number one is that he would tell you to choose calling over cash. The world will say, earn, 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 earn as much as you can for as long as you can. But God says, walk in your calling and your destiny. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it says, However, this is the words of Paul, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. I could earn all the money in the world, but I tell you, the greatest thing I could do is complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. You know, the greatest thing you could do is complete the task God's given to you. Did you know he's given you a task? He's given you something in your, in your hands, and God has made you and designed you for something specific. And please, 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 you all should not become pastors. That's not the call. Paul is not saying, hey, I've completed the task. Now, all of us, we should all become pastors and leaders and work for What a terrible idea that is. Like, as in, you know, it's really not. But Paul is saying, God has called you and he wants you to walk out your destiny. He has wired you for something. And as you work that out, it is better to chase the calling than chase the cash. You and I, we make a lot of decisions based on cash. Some of us will move locations because of the better paying job and and leave community. Some of us will leave our calling and will actually just end up chasing the numbers or even, you know, sometimes we put it down to numbers. I think it's also a career title. We want that title, those letters next to our name or under our name that mean something to us. Let me tell you something. You might get a sense of accomplishment, but it's not fulfilling in the long run. You might get that says, finally, I achieved these things, but the long run, God wants you fulfilled. And that fulfillment only comes, only comes when you're trusting in Him and walking in your calling. There's a guy named, um, uh, what's his name? His name's David Green. Everyone say David Green. I want you to remember this name because David Green um, was a pastor's kid. And uh, about 60 years ago, uh, his parents were pastors, obviously, making him pastor's kid, good maths, and um, they really wanted him to become a pastor. And they said, David, we really want you to become a pastor. We feel like you've got the anointing, the calling, now go to Bible college. And you know, parents can pressure you, true? Any kids want to say amen to No, 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 not. (laughs) Parents can like, can guide you a bit and go, hey, you should really become a doctor. You know what I mean? Like, or, you know, but I, and, and what happened was is that David Green had an encounter with God and he felt God say to him, I, want you, I don't want you to go to ministry. Your ministry is in the business field. And so David's going, my parents are going to cry over this. You know what I mean? Like, as in they're not going to be happy. Anyway, he was obedient to God's voice, not his parents' voice. Who knows that's a good thing? 
hey, parents, side note, we'll get to it, but our, our desire should always be to, the, the, the most prominent voice in your kid's life should not be yours. It should be the voice of God. And so as you train your children, again, the baby dedication today, it's actually not to train the children in the ways of the parents. It's train your children in the ways of the Lord. Don't say, hey, listen to me. And the, the most prominent voice in your kid's life should not be yours. It should be God's. Because when they're 18, 19, and 20, they're not going to go, mom, what do you think? They should be going, God, what do you think? But if they're doing that at 16, if they're doing that at 12, if they're seeking God, if you're saying, hey, hey, sweetie, don't worry about what I'm saying. What's God telling you? That's, that's all you have to Hey, do you think that was wrong, sweetie? Why don't you ask God what he thinks of that? Train your way, uh, train your kids to actually seek God first, not even your own voice. But anyway, side note, real story. David Green, God says, go into business and I want you to give 50% of your profits to me for the rest of your life. That sounds like a dumb idea. But anyway, right now, David Green is a CEO of a company called Hobby Lobby. It is worth 18 billion dollars who knows that he is walking out his calling who knows that the kingdom is growing because he's walking out his calling let me tell you something here the greatest thing we can do is not chase cash but it's to chase the voice of God chase the heart of God and what he wants to see walking in your calling is far more joyful everyone say joyful joyful than surviving in a career Happy people don't always make the most money to live on, but they are living for something. They, will, they are living for something. They are walking out in their destiny and calling. Here's the thing. Um, the second thing is that, you know, the world will tell you to cut costs, but God will say contentment over cutting costs. Cutting costs is a good thing. You just talk to my wife. She does it all the time. Um, but God is saying be content. Learn to be content. Contentment isn't about focusing on what you don't have, but it is realizing what I do have. Realizing in God what I do have. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I'm going to skip a couple of verses here, but Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. I'm not going to say that again. Just stay, leave it there. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The word covet is actually a bit of a random word. We're going to do a Ten Commandments series in a few months. But the word covet is to desire something strongly. It's to desire something strongly. Uh, an indication of my age, I wanted a Super Nintendo really badly back when I was a kid. And... Kids have got two modes. They kind of sweetly ask for it. Mom, 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 dad, dad. But I think I went into a really golem mode. You know, like as in I kind of just was nagging them. Like I was like, mom, dad, you've got to get me this. You've got to get me this. Like, as in, and for the whole holidays, I'll never forget this, my attitude and my behavior because I desired this thing so strongly. I didn't desire it because I really wanted the gaming console. I desired it because the family down the road, the Prestors, who, who were great friends of mine, they had it. And I'm thinking, and, and, that, that's, and this is what covetousness does, right? It makes you want something that isn't yours. But contentment says be happy with what you have. Embrace what God has given you. You know, to, 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 to covet is to, is to resent God. To cover is to, res to, is to resent God. Why? Because you're literally saying, God, why are you giving it to them and not to me? 
And so the Ten Commandments say, do not covet someone else's career, someone else's ox, donkey. It says, do not covet someone's wife, someone else's wife. You're not supposed, Satan uses this as a ploy to make you want things that are not yours. And God is saying, will you just have me? Am I enough? In Hebrews, when it says this, he goes, hey, do not covet, be content. But what is it? He, he responds and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying, if you have me, you have enough. That's what, that's what God's saying. He's saying, if you have me, you'll be content. If you realize that, Jesus, I am more than you need and I am more than enough, it's going to be okay. But a lot of us walk into this covet mode where we want something that isn't ours. Do you deeply desire someone else's bank account or a Ferrari for a day? Someone else's car or house? Someone else's family or career? You know, um, we have a missions trip meeting uh, just after this service. And if you feel like the Holy Spirit's going, you have a problem in this area, you know, a great way to maybe change that is go on a missions trip and you'll realize what you have. We're going to Thailand and you see people that are less fortunate and things like that. And I think if you want to grow in contentment, go on a missions trip. Go into the information thing in MR6 and 7 straight after the service and uh, go along on a trip and you'll realize how much you have in Christ. Number three, um, dependency over security. Dependency over, what does this mean again? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, just, just joking. The world will tell you to save, save, save. And can I tell you, that is a good idea. Please do not, don't tell, don't go home and go, the pastor said not to save. I'm saying save, save, save. But make sure that your security comes from God. Do not treat your savings account as a literal savings account. Your savings account is not your saviour. Here's a question. Uh, you're going, how do I know if I have a problem in, in this area? If all your savings went away, would you have a faith crisis or would you just have a financial crisis? If all your savings were taken for you, from you, would you, have a fa- would you start questioning your faith or would it just be a financial situation? How else do you test this? This week, God said to me, take some money out of your savings and give it to someone. And I spoke to my CFO, uh, my wife, and um, it's true. Uh, and I said, what do you think? Like, as in, I'm thinking that we, we need to be generous with this family. As in, can we do it? And immediately we go, yeah, Absolutely. But the thing is, if she kind of started, and I could have thrown her a bus in today and said she didn't really want to do it. No, she definitely wanted to do it. But if she, there was tension, I'd realize that we were getting the wrong sort of security from our savings. It is not, it is not healthy for us to have such an attachment to our savings account. Our faith level should not go up and down depending on what's in our accounts. Our faith levels or our, our trust in God should not go, hey, I'm feeling really good this week because I got a bonus. I'm really, God's been good. God's always good. Doesn't matter where your savings account is. Um, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 9. This is a prayer of Agur, and uh, it's, a, it's a warning of a trap to independency. And this is what, it's, I think it's a great passage of scripture. It's behind, but he says, Give me enough food to live on. Neither too much, don't give me Ferraris, just give me, you know, something basic or not too little. Because if I'm too full, if I have too much, if my savings account is too big, I might get dependent saying, God, 
Who needs him? Have you ever felt like that where you go, oh, it doesn't matter where God's at because in the end I have enough money. I don't need him. If I'm poor though, I also might steal and dishonor the name of God. Proverbs 18, 11, I just want to go back one. The, and I, I, I quote this scripture all the time because the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. T-H-E-I-R. In other words, it is man-made. It is there, as in I made this myself. I'm protecting myself. I have built my own security. You know, it is a lie that we can accumulate our way to security. It is a lie that you're believing. Someone's saying, if you have this much super in your account, you'll be okay. No, it's a lie. You can never accumulate your way to security. And you're going, how much do I need? You'll never have enough. You will never have enough. This is why our dependency and our security should be in God. Um, Number four, this one could offend people. If you're an atheist in the room, If you've just been invited to church, uh, it may offend you. I'm sorry. It's management over ownership. You, You don't own anything. How do you feel about that? And as, as Christians, when we are believers, when we've given our life to Christ, it is, there's a greater understanding here that we're saying, none of this is mine. None of it. The shoes, the shirt, none of it is mine. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 89 verse 11, the heavens are yours and yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all, not some, but all that is in it is his. We are managers, we are stewards, not owners. This is not my church, it's his church. I'm a steward of his church. It's not your career, it's his career. You are stewarding, you are managing what he has called you to do. It's not your family, it's his family. You are looking after and you are stewarding how, what he's entrusted and who he's entrusted you with. So if God's the owner, again, we are the managers, and, and you're going, but show me the scripture that shows me this. There's, a, there's many, but Psalm 115, verse 16, it says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given, he has given to manage, he has given to steward to mankind. So literally, it's, it's saying that everything is his, but he has given us what we have here, what you have at home, etc., etc. He has given us for us to manage and steward. So in other words, we are God's management company. And to take a, a leaf out of the, the talents, how are you managing the kids' goods? Sorry, the king's goods. Like how are you managing God's property? How are you managing his things? Are you managing them and stewarding with his heart and focus? You know, a lot of us, um, we, we want to invest, but it's to invest with, with our own empire at mind. We're building our own empires. But when you invest with the owner's intention, something shifts. You know, um, we have a 23-month-year-old. I'm pointing there because she's supposed to be sitting there. She's probably going crazy in the foyer. And um, she has this thing where if she, imagine she's eating grapes, right? Little Amara, she's so cute, but so not cute sometimes. Anyway, she has these grapes, she's walking around and she said, and, and I say to her, share with another friend. 
her automatic response is, no, mine. And she says it with such passion and ownership. She's going, no, my, and I'm going, sweetheart, just share, you know, share the grapes with someone else. And she's going, no, mine. Everyone say, mine. A bit more accent, mine. Perfect, perfect. And I get a little bit embarrassed amongst other families because I'm saying to her, excuse me, sweetie, that's not yours, that's mine. As your father, I am telling you to represent me well. I am, you're not sharing because you want it, you're sharing it because I want it for you. I wonder how many of us actually act like this with God and we're, and, and we're like Amaras and we're going, no, mine. And God is saying, you don't own nothing, sweetheart. Nothing is yours. It is all his, and we're managing it. Like kids to friends. We're saying, don't, Mara, sweetie, don't embarrass me in front of the church people. Come on. Like as in, uh, uh, sweetie, don't embarrass me at Norris Bank Park. It's terrible, you know. I hope we're not embarrassing God in how we're stewarding his finances, his things, his, career, his calling over our lives. God has called us to be managers managers not owners some of you are going one of the greatest sorry one of the greatest things we can do as believers is give up ownership you got you got a lot of stress going on in your life give up ownership if you got a lot of like worry taking give up ownership someone's told you you have control issues guess what give up ownership when you're managing it, you see it differently. When you know that he, the, God is the ultimate controller of everything and owner of everything, it changes your perspective. First, First Corinthians 4, 7, it won't be behind you, but it says, why would you brag about anything? Everything is a sheer gift of grace from God. Last one, and I'll invite the worship team up. And are we going to sing... We are not going to sing a song. Worship team, stay off. Don't worry about it. Um, we're going to close. Respect of time. Diana will close. Maybe the keys, so things may sound more spiritual later. Um, last one. Number five. Generosity over misery. Generosity over misery. The world will say give, 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 and that is a good thing, right? We should give, give, give. But God says not only give, but I love a generous heart. God says, hey, the, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. I will bless people that are generous. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, The Lord himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 11, chapter 24 to 25, this is, I just quoted it, but the world of the generous gets larger and larger. But what, what happens to the world of the stingy? The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. You know, you know when you've met a generous person, they have a big spirit, they have a big heart, they are open-handed with their lives. They are open-handed with what they own. They're going, hey, you want this shirt? Just take it, it's yours. If, if you're hungry, I'm going to be there for as in they'll do whatever they can. But the, the world of the stingy, they're always miserable. They're always, their worlds are small. And you notice it when you talk to people, but I wonder... The fact is that we are supposed to be more like Christ in our lives. And God, our Father, is generous with us. He is generous with us. And wherever we hold things on with the wrong heart, we're acting like owners, not managers. And God's saying, hey, you're supposed to be managing this, not owning this. I wonder if we give, but it's reluctantly. 
I wonder if we give, but it's, we're literally holding on tightly as we were going, please don't, ta-, you know. I remember as a kid, I used to buy a bag of lollies. And whenever I loved the lollies, I used to put them at the bottom and hold on tight. Anyone else do that? They're like, have a fizzy. But you touch those mustics and we're going to have a real problem. You touch those redskins, I tell you. Uh, and I'm just holding, I'm, I'm not going like this. I'm going like this. And God is like this with us. And when he calls us to generosity, when he calls us to live a generous life, it's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be big spirited. It's supposed to be hearts that are saying, God, whatever you say, it is yours anyway. You own it all. I'm just a steward. I'm just a manager. I'm just doing what I can. Open-handed people are the most joy-filled people on planet Earth. The Ferrari owning Max. You know, you know that guy? He owned a Ferrari for a day. Uh, just to give you in, he owns Harvey Norman's. And he leases them back to them on 20-year leases at, you know, a lot of money. Incredible. I flipped the tables on him on the last night and I started to ask him questions. And I said to him, Max, t- tell me a story. Like, tell me, like, what your relationship is like with your family and friends. And I remember him saying to me with, with, a, with a broken face, like literally it was a broken-hearted face. He said, I don't think my parents loved me at all. He would say he had no relationship, no relationship with his family whatsoever. And I could see, I could literally, he was like, it was, you know when someone's tearing up? I'm seeing this guy, he owned a Ferrari for a day. How cool does that sound? But yet he was broken. He was in pain. He had all the money in the world, but yet he didn't have Jesus. He didn't have fulfillment. The Bible says the love of money, the chase of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Literally, it goes on to say, you literally can walk away from the faith if you chase money too much. You can literally pierce yourselves in grief because you desire those things so much. Some of us may have this problem. Maybe you don't. But I pray that for all the financial wisdom that you get in your life, that we will always have God's heart in our finances. I'm just going to read this one last passage and then we're going to pray. Oh, man. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I'm so sorry. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus went on to say, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, Jesus said, You know the commandments. You must not murder You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat and honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these things. All those things that you just said, never killed anyone. I'm great to my parents. Fantastic. Verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt a genuine love for him. Let me tell you, whoever you are, however you've walked in, Jesus feels a genuine love for you today. 
Jesus loves you completely. Before you walked in and even noticed He was available, let me tell you, Jesus loved you and loves you. But He says to this man, there is still one thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell. And he went away sad, for he had many. He had a Ferrari for a day sort of possession. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Money is not evil. Wealthy people are not evil and they're not bad, but the love, it is a spiritual thing, my friends. It is a spiritual thing. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Right now, if you believe that you've been living a life that's maybe been chasing money, chasing your careers, chasing the cash, or maybe there's something in you that you're just going, something has been missing. I thought this would make me happy, but it hasn't. And today you sense that there is something in your heart saying Jesus is the answer. God is the answer. Jesus will fulfill everything in my heart. These, these gaps, these, this, this unfulfillment, this frustration, this emptiness that I'm feeling, I believe Jesus, something in your spirit is saying, this is the decision that I need to make today. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you want to receive eternal life this morning, would you just lift your hand right now? I'm going to pray with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anyone else in this room? Yep, I see that hand. Yep, I see that hand. Anyone else? With every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, as one family, could we just pray this prayer together and repeat after me? Lord, this day, I invite you into my heart. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again so that I could have eternal life. God, I stop chasing what the world wants, the earthly desires, and I choose to chase you. Come live in me and transform my heart. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for the few people that put their hand up? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Encompass Church. If today's message has impacted you and you want to give your life to Jesus, if you need prayer or if you want to get connected to the church, please contact us at office at encompass.org.au. Never miss a moment by following us online. Search for Encompass Church on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.